Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez. We got Tim Maxwell joining the show today. Maxwell Mondays. How's it going, Tim? How you doing? I'm good. My kids are full of candy. I have a lot of leftover candy to eat, so I'm pumped about that. Uh, Kings did not have such a sweet night tonight. Eh? Kind of a spooky ending to the game. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to mark as many of these as, as I can, but I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Yeah. Uh, if anyone can't tell, we're recording this on Halloween night. Uh, Tim's a trooper for doing that after taking his kids out for candy. I didn't really do anything. I'm in an apartment complex. I didn't have anybody knock on my door. No problems. No problems here. Um, yeah, maybe I'm pretty boring, but I sat and watched basketball. And as you kind of alluded to, as I'm sure everybody's aware, the Kings did lose in Dallas third game of what I believe is a four game road trip um, that they have here. And uh, 99 to 105 in this one, Luka Doncic kind of was able to do whatever he wanted. Um, let's just kind of start with, you know, I, actually, I don't I don't want to go too much of a game by game. We haven't talked since the Pelicans game as well. Um, and I, I think, you know, the defense is still an issue, but there's these stretches of the offense really looking bad for the Kings in, in the first quarter of this game against Dallas, they scored 22 points to Dallas's 31. And then there was a stretch against the Pelicans as well. They scored 18 points in the third quarter of that one. Um, we've seen a couple quarters from the Kings now of just really poor scoring performances, 19 in the fourth quarter against golden state, only 21 in the fourth quarter against Utah. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you what do you make of these poor offensive stretches from a team that was supposed to be pretty good on offense this year? And usually is. It's just kind of stretches of being pretty rough. Yeah, I think the Kings have really one guy who can initiate offense from a personal perspective as far as like he can jumpstart the the scoring, and that's Darren Fox. And when he is bad, and if we can be honest, he's been bad compared to himself historically this year. Um, the Kings have nowhere else to go. And so um, there are, there are moments, you know, when Harrison Barnes can anchor them on offense, you know, he'll, he'll go down to the post or he'll knock down a couple threes, Buddy Heald obviously can catch fire. Tyrese Halliburton can, can have some stretches. We've seen Davion Mitchell a couple of times pull out some nice shots, but um, you got Rashawn Holmes, you know, in the middle who can run some pick and roll. But I think a, a lot of Sacramento's offensive issues are, 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 um, originating in two areas, and I think they're related. And I don't know which one's the chicken, which one's the egg. De'Aaron Fox's offensive struggles and Sacramento's lack of three-point shooting. And so, you know, is Fox being less effective as a driver because teams are collapsing sooner because the three-point threat hasn't been there for Sacramento, and that's what the scouting report says? Or is the three-point shooting not there because defenses aren't collapsing on Fox as much because he's not hitting his shots? And I don't, I don't know which it is. It's probably a little bit of both. Um, but when you have a lack of three-point shooting aside from a couple of guys and your your like main engine for your offense isn't operating at full volume for whatever reason, um, you're going to have those stretches. And I, I think this is more almost more of a definition of the season, like Harrison Barnes or Sean Holmes and Bud Heal can carry you for certain parts of the game. But until Darren Fox can become Darren Fox again, we're just going to continue to see these stretches and even see these games. So um, are you on the same boat with me? That? Yeah, I mean, Fox obviously just needs to be better. You know, this this game against Dallas was 14 points, 
four rebounds, eight assists uh, in 39 minutes, just under 40 on the night, five of 16 from the field, one of four from three, three of five from the free throw line. Um, I, I think that Pelicans game was was definitely better for Fox. Um, I, I think that there were moments where he's shooting too much. You can say that I think a decent amount of times this year, but that Pelicans showing uh, 23 points, five assists, seven rebounds, 37 minutes, nine of 21 from the field, one of seven from three, four of four from the free throw line. I think in those two games, the last two games, he's been a little more aggressive in driving to the line or in driving to the paint. Um, still not as much as he needs to be for a guy that is elite in that aspect. And, and that's like the best part of Foxy's game. And I think everything else is about complementing that or using that skill set to the best of his ability to impact the game in other ways. We didn't feel that all too much. Like I think in this game against Dallas, Moses Brown was put on the floor and Fox's eyes just kind of lit up only lasted about four possessions before even Jason Kidd was like, this is too much. Um, Willie Cauley Stein, I mean, to say he's an upgrade is, is certainly saying something about how poor Moses Brown was when he was out there. Um, but no, I mean, Fox absolutely needs to be better. Um, and, and I think there's this weird fine line between if a guy goes under a screen, Fox feels like he has to pull it almost. Um, and I somewhat understand that if it's, but but you're doing it with 16, 17 seconds left in the shot clock. Um, that's when I'm going to take some issue to it. And I think a couple of guys throughout this stretch in Dallas specifically that stands out to me of um, end of the third quarter, I believe it was. It's like, you know, these are halfway decent looks, but decent looks when you have 15 seconds left on the shot clock is not exactly what I want to see from a team that usually has multiple playmakers, primarily talking Fox and Halliburton. And I think Davion's on his way up there. Um, yeah, I think just using a little bit more of the shot clock sometimes rather than just settling for your first look in the pick and roll. Um, Fox is absolutely guilty of that. And I think, yeah, yeah. To get to the three point shooting, um, obviously Fox is shooting poorly himself. Um, I did look through like the NBA tracking numbers of, you know, they have very tight, tight open or wide open on jump shots. Um, and when it comes to frequency, they're. Most of them are the same from last year. Um, if you're talking percentage of threes compared to the team's total field goal attempts, uh, very tight 0.5% last year, 0.7% this year. Tight 4.2% this year, 5.5%. Um, I'm sorry, 4.2% last year, 5.5% this year. Open threes, 14.9% last year, 15.7% this year. Improvement there. Wide open threes, 18% last year, 19.5% this year. Improvement there as well. Percentages are all fairly similar. Um, you know, they're shooting 37.5% on wide open threes this year compared to 40% last year. Like not a big enough difference where that's losing you these games. Um, the open threes are close. They're tight threes, which is a opponent within two to four feet. 31.5% last year, 16% this year. Um, but that's only five of the temps you're talking about from downtown at night. And I think part of those not being as open could be a lack of penetration, like you're talking about from Fox or some of these other guys. Um, and yeah, I mean, the only two good three-point shooters on this team so far this season are Barnes and Buddy. Um, you know, Barnes is shooting 45% from three and Buddy is shooting 40%. Uh, together, they're shooting 42% from three, and they're taking 47% of Sacramento's total three-point attempts between the two of them. 
Outside of those two guys, the Kings are shooting 26 of 118 from three, 23% from downtown. Um, you know, Fox is a part of that. I think Halliburton usually was a good three-point shooter last year. Teams are closing out a little bit harder on him. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I think it's it's hard to tell of how much is is that Fox not having a gravity to him of sucking guys um, into the paint and getting three-point shooters more open and how much of it is just they don't have enough three-point shooting on this roster because what are, what are the main roster differences between this year and last if you're talking shooting like the Elitza beginning of the year I guess Bagley became a good shooter good well I don't know if we'd say good but he became a below average shooter which but he was something you know he was better than Mohark was yeah. um I think, too, I kind of took a different direction with it because I think those are really good stats. I think the other side of it, and I didn't compare to last year, um, the Kings are taking the sixth – or sorry, let me back up. The Kings are taking the second fewest catch-and-shoot threes per game in the NBA. And uh, they're taking 18 per game. Um, and they're knocking down 42% of them. That's good. This is the third best accuracy in the league, but they're taking the second fewest. They're taking the sixth most pull-up threes per game. They're knocking down 24% of them, and that's the fourth worst percentage in the league. So, like, that pendulum needs to swing the other way. And I don't know if that's game planning or coaching or player decision-making on the court, probably a combination of all three of those things. But we've kind of seen this a lot under Luke Walton in the, over the years where you'll just find this weird stat where it's like, why aren't we doing the opposite? And I know it's like, it's easy to say, get more catch and shoot threes, Kings. That's not always possible. But if you're taking the sixth most pull up threes per game, if you're taking 13 of these shots per game and you're shooting 24% of on them, someone in the analytics or coaching department needs to pull that stat and say, guys, we have got to stop. This is too much. And then you need to look at the catch and shoot threes and say, we're taking the second fewest per game. This is our, this is our bread and butter. Buddy healed. De'Aaron Fox is a solid catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. you got Harrison Barnes, Tyrese Halliburton. Halliburton shooting 44% on catch-and-shoot threes this season. Um, and you can go down the line, and these guys are all good to great catch-and-shoot three-point shooters, but we're not getting those shots. I think you referenced it earlier, and I think this is a point I didn't think about, and I think it applies to my point, is if you're taking that pull-up J with 14 seconds left on the shot clock because someone went under the screen – then you are preventing yourself from getting that catch and shoot three pointer six seconds later with two extra passes. So like, I hope someone is looking at this data that we're both pulling and saying, Hey guys, like this is, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's simple. Like there are simple solutions to these shooting issues. It's not just Tyrese shoot better. It's Tyrese take better shots. It's not deer and shoot better. It's deer and take better shots and deer and, and Tyrese and whoever else like sacrifice the good shot for the great shot. And I think that's maybe what the Kings are lacking six games in. Some of that I think has to do with chemistry Fox and Halliburton. I don't think still look comfortable together. Um, I don't think they look wildly uncomfortable but it's a lot of your turn, my turn stuff. Um, and I think Halliburton is getting the short end of the stick of that thus far in the season. So, yeah, I, I think like a lot of the time, the difference between a win and a loss in an NBA game are, are on the margins, right? Like, did I do this really well or kind of well? Did I do this poorly or just average, right? And so with the three-point shooting, it's, okay, we have guys who are historically good catch-and-shoot three-point shooters and are still shooting well 
from catch and shoot threes this year. Let's find those guys more opportunities. If De'Aaron Fox sees two catch and shoot threes go in the hoop, he might be better on that pull up Jay or teams might, you know, come and guard him more. And then he has room to drive And It just, you know, it, it all builds, it all escalates, it all, it all kind of builds upon itself. Um, I, I think just making those small adjustments is going to make a huge difference for this offense because as as we said, it's not all the time. They're not a horrible offensive team. They're actually ninth in the NBA in offensive rating. It's just like they'll be like fifth in the NBA in offensive rating for 40 minutes a game and then eight minutes a game, they're 30th in offensive rating. And it's just horrific. And so I, I think looking at those margins, and I'm sure there's others out there that you and I haven't discovered, that's what's going to make the difference for this team. Totally. Um, those stretches of hor- of really rough offense that you're talking about, I think there's a lot of turnovers that end up happening during that um, in their transition defense, while maybe slightly improved from last year, um, is still pretty horrific. Uh, yeah, I pulled Foxes, and this doesn't include the game against Dallas, where he just went one of four from three. But catch and shoot threes this year, four of 12, uh, 33%. Pull-ups, one of 19. 19 pull-up threes compared to 12 catch and shoot attempts for Fox this year, which is crazy. Um, yeah, last year, 39% from catch and shoot threes and 30% on pull-ups. I guess actually the percentage of pull-ups compared to catch and shoot isn't all too different from last year. Um, but yeah, definitely want to see that happen for him more often. I do think like you mentioned Fox and Halliburton and, and we talked about it, I think last time I had you on and I think it's pretty no- noticeable throughout the season, like them taking turns, like you're kind of talking about. Um, it, it's just like whoever is running the pick and roll, the other three guys aren't doing anything. Um, there's no action on the other side. Um, Halliburton seems to be less often. I, I see like a, you know, the ball got swung from, to Halliburton from say Fox in the pick and roll and Halliburton makes a really quick read to the next guy. It seems like when Halliburton gets it, he's kind of like, okay, like you're saying, it's my turn. Um, which yeah, it is something a little bit weird to me. He's getting up a few more threes. It's just not, I mean, the whole thing with Halliburton is like, yes, these flashes of him creating for himself have been phenomenal, but he's a great role player and connector and, and benefits from having a different initiator alongside him. Um, and you mentioned, or, or maybe it was a different pod. It might've been with you. Um, how important, like, where's the Holmes Halliburton pick and roll? This was with you. And we've seen it more the last two games. I still think not quite enough, but another aspect to the offense for me is that like Holmes is so important. You know, he's played phenomenal this year. Him and Barnes have been the two consistent guys. Uh, Buddy deserves a shout out there as well. But yeah, Holmes against Dallas, 22 and 13, nine of 15 from the field. Um, One of those is a three that he hit at the buzzer that at the end of the game that doesn't exactly mean much, but on off numbers through these six games, the highest offensive rating of any player on the court is Rashawn Holmes, 114. And the lowest offensive rating with any player off the court is also Holmes, 94 offensive rating when Holmes is off the floor compared to 114 when he is on. You know, I, I haven't hated Thompson and Len's uh, defensive impacts, but offensively, like the drop off between those two is just ginormous. And I think that Halliburton specifically is the one that really feels that um, because Halliburton isn't a guy like Fox that can kind of create for himself or you see Barnes able to do it at times. Halliburton like needs to work with a screen. And yeah, I think like Holmes 
Holmes's offensive impact and the fall off from him to Lennon Thompson is an underrated aspect of these offensive lulls. Yeah, um, I think we talked about this last time, but Sacramento's big men outside of Holmes are Bagley, Len, and Thompson, who none of whom can run the pick and roll well or are a real threat in the pick and roll. And I think you make a great point. Halliburton is not a self-creator. And if Tristan Thompson, who's actually a solid screener from like a from a fundamental point of view, so is Alex Len, actually. Um, when they come set a screen for Halliburton and they roll, eh, like if Tristan Thompson catches a lob on the roll as a defense, I'm like, if I kept the ball out of Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heels and Harrison Barnes hands, and it's Tristan Thompson, like even if he scores, okay, that's fine. Um, because maybe the Kings will ISO him like they do three times a game for absolutely no reason. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, this roster is so singularly constructed. And what I mean by that is, Monty McNair went out this offseason and said, I need rebounding. I got Tristan Thompson. I need def- I need rim protection. I got Alex. Lund. I need this. I have one guy for this one role and they don't do anything else. And th- I mean, that's part of what you get when you spend minimum deals or, you know, $3 million, $5 million deals. That's what you're going to get. Um, but I think we're seeing some of the consequences of those decisions. Um, not that Monty McNair could go out and sign an all-star, but you're having to make choices. Every every bench player, aside from Mitchell, that you put in, you're making significant sacrifices somewhere on the court, right? So, like, with Buddy, it's defense. With I mean, Mo Harkless, even though he's a starter, starter, it's offense. Tristan Thompson, it's offense. Alex Len, it's offense. Um, Terrence Davis is everything because he's been horrible. Um, and, again, you just go down the line, and that's kind of everyone on the Kings bench. So, yeah, Halliburton needs help. Like he can't do it himself. He shouldn't. He's a second year player, second year player. We can't expect him to do it all. Um, and I, I, I don't know what the solution for him is be, um, because if Holmes isn't in the game, there isn't a, a solid pick and roll option. So maybe that's something the Kings look at at the, at the deadline or even sooner is, Hey, can we swap one of our backup bigs that we're not using, whether that's Bagley or Len or Thompson, whichever one for, for a, a better pick and roll threat, maybe that would help, um, Halliburton out, or maybe we should like go get a another power forward, like a real power forward. Um, but yeah, th- there's something needs to change in that dynamic. I agree because Halliburton is going to continue to struggle until he's given avenues um, to be able to act as the connector rather than the primary option for sure. Yeah, and I think that an interesting aspect of like. I mean, Halliburton is going to be better, and Fox is going to be better than what we've seen, and that should help bolster this offense even further than what you say it's ranked ninth right now yeah um and and some of these other guys will slow down a little bit specifically harrison barnes probably um well not probably his percentages are ridiculous we'll see what extent he slows down to i still think that this could totally be a career high year um considering the the volume increase that we're seeing from him but yeah i mean i mean how much of this gets fixed when when fox just returns to form a lot. Um, this was something we were talking about on the sock a little bit tonight. The Kings Herald Slack was um, the King. I said, I tweeted this earlier. The Kings have been carrying De'Aaron Fox for being totally honest, like for large stretches of games. And until that's resolved, things are just going to be backwards. And, you know, Harrison Barnes saved them in a couple of games, but he's gone off a couple of times. Davion Mitchell's played well offensively in one game. 
Um, Rashad Holmes has been playing really, really well. And Fox fixes the issues. And I think it's important also to say that, you know, when we say Fox is playing poorly, it's easy to look at his stat line and go, he's averaging 19 and 7. Like, that's really harsh of you guys to say he's playing poorly. But it's playing poorly compared to expectations, right? Like, this is a guy who averaged 25 and 7 last year. This is a guy who's improved dramatically in, in, in many areas every season. This is a guy who has who we have talked about as a potential all-star, as a potential franchise cornerstone. And when your guy comes in that was averaging 25 and 7 last year and puts up 18 and 6 with four and a half turnovers and horrific shooting percentages, you have to say, yeah, you know, that's bad. If Marvin Bagley came in and averaged 19 and 7, we would all be celebrating or whoever, almost anybody else on the Kings. But this is De'Aaron Fox. This is your guy. This is your super max contract. This is him making $30 million a year this year. Um, anyway, so Fox, what I'm a, a little afraid of uh, for this team is we're 3-3. Three and three. I think that's worthy of being celebrated considering the schedule we've had. Um, we... We, we've started this and better six times in the last 15 years, and it has never worked out. So I also understand people who are a little bit hesitant. My little bit of fear is Barnes and Holmes, and everyone's going to cool off a little bit. And we've even seen that in the last couple of games. And if Fox doesn't start to fill that hole relatively soon, the Kings are going to find themselves in a hole, right? Because once Barnes cools off, once Holmes settles in a little bit, once teams, you know, figure out, some other aspects of the Kings offense, maybe Buddy Heald, you know, goes through a cold shooting streak or hell, the Kings trade Buddy Heald, which they've been trying to do for a while now, whatever it is. If Fox isn't there, when that pendulum swings back to normal from above average for a couple of these guys offensively, the Kings are going to look very bad. Um, so I, I think we can say right now, I'm celebrating the fact that the Kings are three and three, despite De'Aaron Fox being, if I can be honest, a net negative on the floor. He's the only starter with a net negative on off rating only starter. So he's, he's negative three Harrison Barnes is the second worst with a plus 4.1. So it's a, it's a large gap. Um, Darren Fox has only led the Kings in scoring in one of six games. Darren Fox has only shot better than 45% from the floor in one of six games. Um, so all that to say, if Fox returns to normal, we go, Oh, Hey, you know, he had, he had a rough stretch. We survived the rough stretch, which is key for these teams. You know, it's, it's kind of like when your star player comes out of the game and you're like, man, can we survive the next six minutes without Fox on the floor? That's normally what we talk about. And if you can survive those six or seven minutes, okay, now we've got a chance to win the game. In this case, we survive the first six games. If Fox can fix these issues, okay, great. You know, we, we kind of escaped what could have been a one in five hole or an 0 in six hole or a two in four hole. On the flip side, if things aren't resolved in six or seven games, I'm really afraid of what this team is going to look like offensively. Um, because I mean, this, this team has one star and it's Darren Fox. And if he's not playing like a star, a lot of your plans fall apart. Yeah. I mean, they haven't been able to survive any game where Barnes or buddy does not show up. Um, which is crazy. I mean, Dallas, this was Barnes's worst game. Um, he ended up, and it's still 15, 10, five assists, three steals, um, but one of eight from three, I think is the key thing here. Buddy went three of 12. Rest of the team, four of 16. Um, you look at Utah, you know, the team as a whole only shot eight of 36 from deep. Six of those came from Buddy. Two of them came from Harrison. Nobody else on the team hit a three. 
their other loss against Golden State, um, the team shot better as a whole. Um, Barnes was five of 10. Aside from that, the team went three of 16, not including Buddy's two of 10. So any game that Buddy or Barnes has struggled, um, the rest of the team is is really failing to kind of pick up the slack. And and yeah, like you mentioned, Fox is, is kind of the main piece here. And Barnes, Holmes come back down to earth. Uh, uh, we'll come back down to earth. Um, they're going to be their reliable selves. Um, I, I don't think you see all too many like off games from those guys necessarily, but it's not often that they're the ones out there winning you games. Um, I do think that you're, you're talking about Halliburton or I mean, Fox um, Halliburton falls into this as well, kind of getting comfortable and, and finding a rhythm. And then also guys like Terrence Davis has just been horrible horrible and yet to have a good game a good stretch even he had that preseason against the Lakers um but man if he doesn't shoot it the second that he touches it while he's out there against the Pelicans he only ended up playing four minutes he played nine minutes against Dallas Luke ran a four guard lineup in the final oh man let me find this here the final minute 50 of the third quarter and I, I don't understand why I know we're talking about the offense struggling, um, but I don't understand why he goes with a four guard lineup and Harkless doesn't play um, for a really large stretch to close the game. Um, I believe Har- Harkless went out with about six minutes left in the third and then didn't see the floor again. Um, and yeah, that four guard lineup came in with about three minutes left in the third Fox Halliburton, Davion Mitchell, Terrence Davis and Tristan Thompson. And it goes, Dallas goes on a 12-4 run, and the lead goes from two points to 10 at the half. And, you know, the offense wasn't horrific. Yeah, I think it was kind of what we talked about earlier. It was like you have four guards out here. If you move the ball around often enough and are penetrating with those guys, you're going to end up with a good shot. Instead, you're kind of settling for something with 15 seconds left on the shot clock, 17 seconds left on the shot clock with a little pick and roll, like the first three um, plays there where Davion Mitchell pick and roll and him finishing and, and Davion's been been great and promising in that aspect but when you're talking those four guard lineups out there it's like Davion being the only guy to touch the ball aside from maybe Tristan Thompson for three possessions in a row is rough um, yeah I mean some of these guys will pick up a little bit of slack I guess while the other ones cool off like the last aspect on Fox um, real quick I know I almost got into lineups there, but before we move on to Fox from Fox, is it almost as simple as the shots not falling for him? Like it's weird because the numbers I I would have thought from watching like, Oh, he needs to be a little bit more aggressive getting downhill, but like cleaning the glass has his shooting frequencies pretty similar to last year. It's kind of just a lot of them aren't following falling. And then the free throws. Yeah. um, I tweeted this out a couple yesterday, a couple of days ago. Last year, Darren Fox averaged 18.4 drives per game. This year, Darren Fox is averaging 18.4 drives per game. He's he's actually averaging more field goal attempts per drive this season than he did last season. Um, I have no I have no proof of this. I have not I have not done the research on this, but I I feel like so this is eye test slash feeling test that Fox doesn't get calls. And no one's getting calls, so let's just let's just throw that out there. Um, in fact, I looked this up earlier of, of any player, and I don't remember my my 
threshold. I think it was of any players um, driven at least 80 times this year. Then there were like probably 25, 30 guys. Um, Fox has the second most number of free throw attempts. So he's not getting calls. And I think when he doesn't get calls, Fox then starts to settle. Almost like, fine, if you're not going to give me a call, I'll hit jumpers. But the problem is he just doesn't hit them. Um, he's shooting overall. I know we talked about um, pull-up three-pointers. But overall in the season, he's shooting 30% on pull-up jumpers. So I think that's part of it. You know, shots aren't falling. He's turning the ball over more. I think that's also an issue for Fox. I know that's not affecting his field goal percentage, but just, again, like flow of game. Um, like right now in isolation, he's sitting at 11th percentile, scoring 0.62 points per possession and turning the ball over 24% of the time. Um, so, yeah, I think part of it's shot not falling. And I, I've had a lot of people ask me, they're like, well, he's supposed, you know, he looks bigger, right? Like we can see De'Aaron Fox put on muscle, in the offseason, well, is the muscle affecting his shot? I don't know. It could be. You know, it's one of those things where I don't think it's fair to say he shouldn't have put on that muscle because then he'd be fine. Like, we have no idea. Um, we have no idea if he has health issues. You need a shoulder wrap at some point during the early season. Um, obviously, the officiating is affecting him. And I, by officiating, I want to be clear, it's the new rules. The new enforcement of the lack of calls is is affecting him. Um there are also times, I think, where Fox is getting frustrated. We've seen him drive into three defenders, throw up a wild shot. You know, he'll he'll initiate the contact, which is what he did last season. He got the call. He's not getting the call this season. No one is. And so it's, you know, back to 10th grade basketball. If you refs used to say this all the time, if you drive to create contact, I'm not giving you the call. If you drive to score, I might give you the call. And I, I think that's part of it. Um it's just weird. You know, like you said, he's just kind of shooting the same shots. He's driving the same number of times and he just can't hit anything from three point range. Mid range has his long mid range shots have been lower percentages um, at the rim. He's still been good. I, last time I checked, he was shooting 63% at the rim last year. He was at 69%, but career he's been like 63, 64%. So yeah, it, it, to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, the shots aren't following the question is why um, I'm not sure. Do you, do you think anything else is causing that besides just, straight up missing i don't know like i was i was shocked to see the numbers of the amount of like the the drives that you just mentioned or the percentage of attempts from different spots on the floor like i thought that maybe he was settling a little bit more so no i mean like it does kind of feel like they're not they're just not falling at least to an extent um there's definitely i think what you mentioned of him getting frustrated um, driving four fouls and just adjusting to that rule call that they're calling pretty cons consistently throughout the year. And I would guess we'll kind of find some middle ground between what we've seen at the beginning of this year and, um, and what we saw last year, but no, yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like it's just shots not falling. Like obviously with each passing game, the concern grows a little bit, but I'm still like, he he's going to come back around. Like we're going to have a big game here, but Dallas and New Orleans are two pretty bad offense defenses. Um, and I was like, man, this is when it's going to happen. And we didn't see it. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not all too sure there. But I think I'm for now, I'm just going to somewhat hesitantly say I think shots just might not be falling and adjusting to the rule change, like you said. Um, and, and I still, I mean, Fox is going to come back around. Halliburton, I'm a little interested to see. I think it's just easier as a second year guy to be more skeptical of what this means. Like, I, I think that 
Um, I really need to go back and watch his offensive possessions more throughout these first six. But um, I think teams closing out harder on him could make a really big difference. Um, at the beginning of the year, I wrote something about how a lot of his threes, I don't remember the exact percentages, but he had a ridiculous amount of wide open threes for being a 40% three-point shooter. He's not getting those this year. Um, a lot of people talk about like his funky form. I think the one aspect, obviously it works, but the one aspect is that it's pretty low. And I think if he's contested, that form makes it a little bit tough for him sometimes. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, just having defensive defense is having more of a focus and emphasis on Halliburton could be affecting him. Also, like you said, adjusting to playing alongside Fox more often. Um, but those guys are going to figure it out. I'm, I'm not all too concerned at this point. Like I said, it grows with each game, but I'm still just kind of waiting for it to happen and thinking it will here soon. Yeah. Like we can say Fox has struggled and for some folks, it's their automatic jump to defend, right? No, he hasn't. Yeah, he has. But you don't need to jump to he will always struggle. And we certainly don't need to jump to, like, let's get rid of the guy. Like, if you have four years, four seasons of evidence that this dude can be a guy, and you got six games of struggle, albeit poor struggle at a poor time at the start of a season where changes have taken place, there's, like you said, the concern is growing a little bit at a time. You know, when it was two games, like, man, it's the first two games. Then it's a four games. Like, yeah, it's a four game sample size. Now we're at six games. We're like, okay. We're still not even 10% of the way through the season. So I fully expect Aaron Fox to end the season at at or around or better than his average averages than last season. If we're at game 15 and we're still having the same discussion, then the discussion turns another page. Um, I think I'm a little less confident in Fox and Halliburton as a pairing. Um, as I, I love Davion Mitchell, and I, I'm thrilled that to a certain extent he has proved my draft night worries wrong from an individual perspective i don't think anything has been disproven about yours and i's and many other people's concerns about two fox and halliburton and mitchell all work together i don't think they do i don't think the three of them as a trio last halliburton's rookie contract so i i do think something's gonna give there because Bavion needs to play fox needs the ball in his hands how it's just i don't I'm a little less confident in that in general. I think Halliburton's going to figure it out. I think Fox is going to figure it out long-term. I I don't know if they figure it out together, but um, yeah, I'm I'm not worried about Fox long-term at all. Yeah. Do do you think we're focusing too much on the offense for a team that like defense is a big issue or is it, you know, is it accurate? Like if, if offense is going to be your strength, defense is going to be your weak point, then offense pretty much needs to be the strength for 48 minutes. Is that kind of, why this is the issue that we're focusing on you think that's where i'm at i mean you and i had a mailbag together on king's herald we kind of talked about this too like the kings didn't do much depth chart wise change like they didn't change that much they brought back harkless you know they brought in len thompson and mitchell basically um who are all strong defensive players but you know we've gone over those guys a million times we don't need to do that again but Yeah, I mean, you brought back most of the same roster with most of the same issues, the same coach with the same issues. So I never expected the Kings to be a strong defensive team. And when you're a a weak defensive team and then your offense falls apart, now you're experiencing the 12-4 runs, the 10-0 runs, the 15-0 runs, you know, the, the blown leads or the 
you know, we, we charged up to bring it within six or four and then we fell apart and we got, we lost by 12 or what, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not concerned about the defense in the sense of, I was always concerned about the defense. So when the offense also becomes an issue, I think that's when concerns grow for sure. Totally. Yeah. That, that run at the end of the fourth that you're talking about in this most recent game against Dallas, um, eight thirteen left in the fourth. It's a seventy nine to ninety one lead for Dallas. Sacramento goes on a ten to one run with uh, three assists on three made field goals, and then uh, you see that three from Luca from the logo, which was a well defended play. Um, credit to Thompson for, you know, I, I think that I saw him switch on to Luca a few more times than I would like tonight, um, but. He did a decent job on that possession. That was a bad shot. Um, I, I sound like Paul George here, um, but that was a bad shot. And Luca hit it. And then right after uh, Sacramento had, had cut it to three, by the way, right before that, then Luca hits that right after Halliburton goes down the other end, has a bad turnover right within the first five seconds of the offense. And it's an easy dunk for Dorian Finney-Smith on the other end. All of a sudden, you go from this nice 10-1 run to cut it to three, and you're back to an eight-point game. And then from there, they they never really recovered. Um, yeah. Before um, moving on to some of the other guys, I, I think people could hear us sitting here talking about some offensive lulls and think, well, instead of Mo Harkless or Tristan Thompson, Alex Len, like, do you ever consider throwing Bagley out there? He's not good offensively. <laughs> like that's that's maybe mean, but like I, I think my only counter would be that if we're talking about Halliburton needing a pick and roll partner after Holmes, like Bagley's is Bagley not at least notably better than Thompson Len? No. I mean, like in theory, sure. Like he should be. He's like one of the more athletic, faster big men in the NBA. He can jump out of the gym. He doesn't do it. Like yeah. how many times did Marvin Bagley run an effective pick and roll last season? Not enough. <laughs> ne- never. Yeah, like sure. I, I was just saying, I remember like there were like four games Marvin Bagley set one hard screen and we we're like, whoa, yeah. is, if, if Bagley can do this, then dot, dot, dot. I, I guess like if you're, I, I, let me say this. If, if we walked into a halftime and our offense was just putrid for 24 minutes and Luke Walton said, Marvin, do something fine. I, I'm okay with that. I, I really wouldn't yeah. have a problem with that. I, I honestly I'm I'm a little I think the the Kings as almost like an organization are being a little like jerky to Bagley to be honest where they're just like we're just not gonna play you too bad like sorry petty. man it's a little petty um, I think Bagley asked out I think he's not been the most pleasant person to work with um, in a lot of ways but yeah I mean. I, 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 you and I, I think did another mailbag together, um, where someone asked about, oh no, no, it was our, it was our Royal round table where one of the question was what, which player do you think will play like fewer minutes than people believe? And I felt like I was going out on a limb, uh, saying, I think you only play eight to 15 minutes a game. 
or eight to 12, whatever I said. And I think a lot of people had a similar answer. Like it'll be Bagley and he won't play that much. Um, and then I, like the next, I, I was, I was like, I think you could give him DNPs. That's right. You times. were the one that said that. Yeah. And then they came out like the next day and we're like, yeah, we're not playing you at all. Yeah. I do think, th- I, I think that's a little harsh. Like Tristan Thompson has had bad performances. Alex then hasn't always been effective. Mo Harquist, he's the most fine player that has ever existed in the NBA. Um, so I, I guess I can be harsh on Bagley and say, no, don't ever play him, but I probably would be playing him eight to 12 minutes a game because there are times in which he can enter the game and make a difference. And he's a guy that now that we don't have to invest in him, you know, th- there's no obligation to Marvin Bagley anymore. If he goes in for four minutes and screws up, like there was one game, he, I think he's only played once this year, but there was a game he came in this year and it was just like, oof, that was not good. He did not look Utah good out there. Harkless was out. Yeah. And Holmes was in foul trouble, right? Um, so yeah. yeah. And then if he comes in and he sucks for eight minutes, you go, okay, back to the bench with you, Marvin or four minutes. But there are times we have seen him score. We have seen him, you know, not take over games, but come in and get a couple of cheap, easy buckets. And all of a sudden the Kings feel better about themselves. So yeah, I I think, I think I'm going to contradict myself at the beginning and say, yeah, I I wouldn't hate throwing him in there for six to nine to 12 minutes a game. And then having having a short leash for him, I, I think that might be somewhat of a solve for at least the offensive issues, since the defense is going to suck anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes, like like you're saying, I, I think when there's these offensive lulls, like the, I, I do remember occasional moments of like the Halliburton Bagley pick and roll looking okay, and, and that's the main thing that I'm kind of thinking of here is that when Holmes is off the floor, Halliburton kind of looks like he doesn't know what to do with himself sometimes. Um, and that's something that I think Halliburton will work out on his own a little bit. He's not shooting off the dribble as much in the pick and roll as I think he can. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you play with that at least sometimes. Um, but yeah, short leash, like you're saying, because the offensive inconsistency, um, you, you did a good job reminding me how horrible his screen setting is uh, because that is, that is rough for Bagley for sure. When I'm talking about the main thing and being out there for his uh, pick and roll as a big man. Um, but yeah, I mean, the inconsistency on offense usually isn't going to be enough to make up for the defense, but sometimes you need to try it here. Cause I think another thing that's standing out is that, you know, it's always one of Lenore Thompson. Um, Terrence Davis is kind of slowly getting fizzled out of the rotation. I think he'll come back around, but there is, it's more than just him not hitting shots. Like he's, shooting way too quick he he's his role and maybe expected shot output it almost seems like the amount that he's getting it up like he was told to do this and and this isn't I I don't know this by any sort of way but just from the amount that he's getting shots up compared to what we saw last year like I know this is kind of what he does but it seems a little extreme this year and what I'm getting at is we have like an eight-man rotation we're talking about all this depth that was added in the off season and it's an eight man rotation. I mean, nine with, you know, Terrence Davis getting spot minutes and the eight is kind of either Len or Thompson. So I guess you could say that's more versatile on a night tonight, but it's, it's eight, maybe nine guys after one of the big improvements was supposed to be depth. We have no power forwards. None. None. Uh, is Harkless really a power forward though? Or are we playing him the power forward? I think he's a power forward. I mean, I, I think, think he's Barnes. Power forward. 
they can play like they can like they're combo forwards, right? Like they are combo forwards, which I think you can play combo forwards at four. But we have seven hundred and fifty million guards yeah. and three centers. And a couple combo forwards, to be fair, like Barnes and Harkless. Um but I think that's the big issue is like you just don't have a, a balanced roster. You know, if if we had traded Buddy Heald for Kyle Kuzma and Harrell, how much better shape would be in roster wise? Yeah. Or if Delon Wright wasn't traded for a center but a wing, I had that thought earlier today. That's true, <laughs> and I mean, there are multiple teams that could use a point guard right now, and we had an extra solid one just like chilling who could have like played Delon Wright could be playing right now. Like I would rather play Delon Wright over Terrence Davis. I mean, yeah, but that's a good point. Just the roster construction is still off. So a lot of our issues that we're discussing, there's just going to be like this foundational underlying cause of, we don't have a balanced roster. And until you balance the roster, you're just going to continue to have these issues. Um, we have too many guards, we have too many centers, and not enough in-between players. We don't have enough wings. And like Mo Harkless, you know, we can okay, let's just say he's a four. He's a one side of the court four. You know, he can't he can't score. He can't shoot. He can't he hurts you on offense. He doesn't kill you on offense because he doesn't do anything on offense. Like tonight he had like one nice move, and I was like, that was Mo Harkless. Like <laughs> I didn't know that was Mo Harkless, but um yeah, the, he's the, so the, bad on offense that they'll put like say the opposing four is the best defender on on the other team. Uh, I, f- I forget the exact example to to use this on. Uh, Herb Jones, I think it was, was guarding Fox in that New Orleans game. And then Devontae Graham is guarding Mo Harkless, and they have like one or two possessions of like, maybe we should post up Mo Harkless. And it's like, ah, no, we shouldn't do that. No, um, I mean, you could, if, if, if Mo Harkless was on the opposing team, we would put Buddy Heald on Mo Harkless. That's, that's where, or Marvin Bagley or whoever your worst defender is. I also didn't know Herb Jones was a person until the Pelicans game. Never heard of him. I I know people said they mentioned him about, I don't even know what draft, was he in last year's draft? I've never heard of this dude. He was, yeah, last year. Was he a second round pick at least so I can feel better about myself? It was at least second round. He wasn't a first rounder. He might have been undrafted, but yeah. Okay. Never heard of this dude in my life. I don't know. Alabama, I believe. No, never heard of him. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Where do you want to go from here? Um, I, I, I want to, I, I don't know where I want to go from here. I, I do want to say something about tonight's game. I thought Tristan Thompson was terrific. Um, which I have, I have not been a, a huge fan of his, I, like, I don't think his production was like, oh my gosh, Tristan Thompson. I think he had like 13 and five, 13, five and three, maybe something yeah. like that. Um, yeah, 13, five and three. Wow. Look wow. at that, man. Look at that memory. Um, but like the Kings were down 22 to nine when he came in. And they looked horrific. And he just, as as much as I hate, hate is the wrong word. As much as I get annoyed by the like the, the Schumperts over the world, especially for the Sacramento Kings, where it's like I'm so tired of the energy veteran who everyone loves, but isn't that good because like we need talent more than energy. I think he had really good energy tonight. He played really hard. He he grabbed some offensive boards. He did some really good things defensively, you know, those question marks, but that's question marks about the King's scheme, to be honest. Um, but I, I just want to shout him out because I thought 
the Kings would not have had a chance tonight without Tristan Thompson's. I don't think as, as much as other guys played well and stepped up, you know, Buddy Heald had a, had a really good game and, and other guys, but I thought his energy and just his intensity and his, his willingness to just go in the game. Like I'm going to ball out as hard as I can. And if we don't win, we don't win. I, I thought that was really important for the team tonight. And I, I don't know. I, I know I haven't been his biggest fan, but I, I'm glad that Walton chose him over, uh, over at Len tonight. Yeah. When you mentioned, uh, going into this that you wanted to talk about uh lennon thompson i was like so ready to defend thompson's night um I- i'm glad we're on the same page here um his numbers look horrific by the way like the advanced numbers but it's it's Oof. small sample size they look really bad um, his on off numbers have you looked at those it's like yeah, negative so 30 net rating or something <laughs> horrific. yeah but yeah. something i was going to ask you about earlier because you mentioned it i feel like it's always four guards and thompson or three guards and thompson why do you think Luke Walton doesn't play four guards in Holmes or three guards in Holmes as much? And I could be totally wrong. Maybe the data is wrong and I, if he does that all the time, but I feel like it's always four guards in Thompson. I mean, my guess would be that the three guards, four guards, you have your offense. And at that point you need as much defense from the center position as possible. And Thompson is maybe looked at as the better defender than Holmes. Like I think there's moments that, he is, um, but you could just fully commit to the offense and, and put Holmes out there. But I think the idea is like, okay, we have enough. O- My guess would be we have enough offense out there. This is a time when when Holmes can kind of take a break and we go a little bit more of a defensive-oriented center. Yeah, I would disagree that Thompson is a better defender. but Yeah, yeah, he might not be. But Tom- yeah. yeah, and like Lim's, Len is the most natural rim protector, but he is – glacially slow on defense so he's gonna sit in the paint and guard the opposing center um but yeah just it's just a curious thing that i feel like whenever i see the four guard lineup it's almost always tristan thompson and i feel like the four guard lineup has not played very well uh from like a from a plus minus perspective so i think a lot of thompson's numbers he's getting thrown out there with those third and three and four guard lineups and then his numbers just get wrecked um because of that yeah yeah totally um yeah I'm, i'm gonna keep an eye out for that one and yeah, like you said, Thompson played really well in this one. Len played really well in the game against the Pelicans. Um, both is a, are a really big drop off from Holmes again, I think on both ends of the floor. Um, but Valanchunas was a big impact in that Pelicans game. We've seen the Kings overall rebounding numbers look a little bit better. H- Holmes and Barnes are seem to have more of an emphasis in securing rebounds this year. Um, this game against Dallas, actually, they had 17 offensive rebounds, which was a weird positive that you don't see all too often for the Kings. But yeah, the Pelicans, Jonas Valanciunas, 13 rebounds, 24 points. The game before, or two games before that in Phoenix, saw 21 and 21 for DeAndre Ayton. So those games, it made a little bit more sense to go with Len. But then, yeah, when you're backup center, you're, going against is Willie Colley Stein or say it's Kleba or Powell out there, a really high paced offense that you can't really have Alex Len. I think he moves a lot faster than most players his size, but Thompson does move notably quicker. Um, and yeah, I think that they've done a decent job in recognizing which one of those two guys should go out there, but it's also not the the hardest thing to figure out. And, and like you mentioned, we had Thompson, for a little while, I was like, oh, man, Luca was getting in a rhythm. And I think only one possession I wrote like, oh, wow, they're starting to double team him. Not even screens going on. He came across half court and they brought a second guy. Um, and, and, you know, the 
rotations from there are skeptical. I mean, that's where the issues have been last year. But the fact that they were throwing something different at him, I was like, oh, this is cool. And then kind of went back to, okay, Tristan Thompson is just switching on to him, I guess. So not exactly always put in the best situations, but yeah, I don't I don't have a problem. I think there it's definitely improvement from the backup centers the Kings were working with before. And then from there, I think Davion Mitchell is maybe someone we can talk about for a little while here. Sticking with the defense for a second, you know, we had moments of Davion being the guy assigned to Luca tonight. And yeah, I mean, how do you how do you think that went? Big size difference there. There's all this talk about him guarding up positions. How do you feel about that stretch? Thought it was okay. Like there were possessions. Luca's a guy that the best thing you can do to defend yourself against Luca Doncic is to frustrate Luca. Like Luca gets in his own head. He gets, you know, he gets frustrated with the refs. He starts taking poor shots or, you know, throwing crazy passes because he wants to prove people wrong. And that's probably Luca's biggest kryptonite is himself and his own mental state in games. Um, so I thought Davion did a, a solid job frustrating him at times. And then there were times that Luca was just too big, too strong, too, too wily for him. Luca's one of the smartest players in the NBA. Um, so I, th- I think the Lucas of, the, I mean, Luca's like a top five, seven player in the NBA. So like, it's hard to, you know, judge a rookie against a top guy in the NBA. Who's probably has six inches on him. Um, but yeah, I, I think Luca proved tonight that Davion as good as he is, has limits to what he can do. Um, Davion switching on Luca is also different than Davion taking Luca on f- from the start of possession. You know, if you, if you switch a screen and Davion has to guard, Luca for eight seconds. That's a whole different thing than 24 seconds. Um, so I thought he did okay for, for what he was facing, but I think this is, you know, we've, we've seen a couple of times where Davion does have limits defensively and that's okay. Um, how did you feel about it? Yeah. Um, I think he had one possession that he frustrated him and in the middle of the possession, Luca looked at the ref and I think like gave him some attitude. Um, at one point I thought Luca might get ejected from this game and I was like, man, I guess that's an asterisk that I'll take a win, but didn't end up happening. Um, yeah, I mean, he does a good job with the tools he's working with, but he can't he can't guard that big of a guy. Um, I think even, you know, people talked about the Paul George preseason game. There's one specific highlight I think of, but it's like Paul George still got all the way to the rim. He stopped him once he got to the rim, but he got all the way to the rim pretty easily. Like the issue is that Davion might, be your best option like I, I guess Harkless and Barnes probably Barnes I guess but if you're trying to bother an initiator Davion is the best option between those guys like Harkless and Barnes struggle to get th- around screens I guess Davion does as well but he he's, does a little bit better at that um yeah I mean I, I'm not buying the whole like guarding threes thing is what I'm saying like you're saying, switching on to them is just fine, but primary assignment now. Yeah, Davion had four fouls tonight, um, which isn't like an exorbitant number of fouls, but for Davion, that's a lot of fouls. He hasn't really gotten into foul trouble a whole lot in, in the six games thus far. So I, I think that's more evidence that like as impressive as he is, he's, he's a one-two defender with switching on to some threes or guarding some threes that aren't the Lucas, the LeBrons, the Paul Georges, the Kevin Durants, the whoever's of the world. Brandon Ingram's um, yeah, I, I think we are seeing some of Davion's limitations from a physical perspective, not from an effort perspective, not from a talent perspective, but he is six one. So when you're 
playing a six, seven, six, eight, six, nine dude. There's just, there's going to be times in which the advantage is just purely in that player's court. Um, and sometimes you can overcome those and sometimes you can't. And that's just kind of where we're at with Davion. Um, overall, Davion has been incredible defensively. I mean, legitimately incredible. Like, yeah. When was the last time we saw a rookie defender have this impact in the game? I, I have no clue. I, I really, and not even, I'm not talking Kings either, just like in general, you know, you, you think about some of the really good defensive players that have entered the NBA from college. They almost always have a, an adjustment period, right? Like there's almost always like, Hey, this guy's going to be really good, but let's give him a season or two. And Davion, he's 22 or 20. I always forget how old he is right now, but he, he's a four year college player. There are some, some three. He's 23, right? He was 22 at the draft. I think he turned 23 right after. Yeah. So, like, he's, like, like le- I think he's less than a year younger than De'Aaron Fox, if I have that correct in my mind. Um, so, we need to take some of that into account. Like, he's not a 19-year-old kid coming in doing this. He's he's a man coming in doing this. At the same time, uh, just to throw us out there, 91 players have defended at least 50, 60 field goal attempts this season. Lonzo Ball is number one in defensive field goal percentage. His guys are shooting 29.7% from the floor. Derek White is second at 30.1% from the floor. Davion Mitchell is third at 31.1% from the floor. Jeez. I mean, that that is just mind-boggling. I mean, Lonzo Ball and Derek White, like those are two of the better guard defenders in the NBA. It's not like you're seeing random name. I mean, and there's some noise in some of these stats. You always have to, especially in six, five, six games, whatever it is. But like when your eye test is telling you this guy is an elite special defender and you go look at the stats and they say, this guy is an elite special defender. You can probably assume that this guy is an elite special defender. If, if you're seeing, Buddy Heal on this list, which I think he's actually kind of far up there. You go, okay, there's some noise in those stats. Um, or maybe he's trying hard. I don't know. But, you know, Mitchell's only guarded 11 shots at the rim this season, but his opponents have only made four of those shots. So, again, some noise there. Like, we can't say he's a shot blocker or, an, or a rim protector. At the same time, you go, holy shit, this guy's really good. Um, you know, there was that transition play tonight. I don't remember who who was charging down the court and Davion just cornerbacked them, just grabbed the ball, forced the jump ball. And like, I never had a question that that was ever going to be a foul call. It was just, he just knows exactly where to go. I, I think it was you who, who had a tweet a while back about a Jordan Clarkson possession against the, was it you that tweeted about Jordan Clarkson where maybe it was someone else that Davion like predicted what Jordan was going to do with the ball right before he did it. And he just like covered, covered, covered and frustrated him. And again, as much as we can say he's a 23-year-old and he played four years of college ball, um, I can't remember the last time a four-year, three-year, two-year, or one-year college player came in and had the impact he's had individually, team defense, culturally. Um, I'm going to continue to beat the drum until I'm proven otherwise that... Okay. I, mm, I'm going to throw it out there. I think Davion, thus far in the season, has been a top three guard defender in the league. I would I would take him over anyone but maybe Lonzo and I guess maybe a Derek. There's probably just a couple other guys that I would throw in that mix, but 
I mean, I, I, I really wouldn't confidently take anyone over them. And, that, and that's just a, such an incredible compliment to that young man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thought he would be a good defender, obviously elite at some point in his career. I don't think was crazy to me to hear um, this early in his career is ridiculous. Isolation. I mean, we heard Fox and Buddy saying this guy's one of the top five on-ball defenders in the league in preseason coming into the regular season. And it was like, okay, they're kind of talking up their guy probably, but I mean, we don't hear him talk up guys to that extent. And then saw Damian Lillard have big things to say. Donovan Mitchell, who obviously um, they have a close relationship, was really talking him up as well. Um, He did decent job against Steph Curry on isolation possessions. You know, he, he got cooked. I think one play that stands out to me struggles to get through screens sometimes, but that that's just going to come with a little bit more time. I mean, when you're talking isolation, like he does a phenomenal job. I think what, what you're saying is definitely not too far fetched. Um, I, yeah, just don't feel all too confident in all the other guard defenders in the league coming to the top of my mind, but could totally see him him being what you stated there. And yeah, I mean, the versatility of guys that I kind of ran through a little bit there when you're talking Dame and CJ and the way that they create for themselves off the dribble, a lot of pull-ups. Donovan Mitchell is a guy that's trying to get downhill a lot. Um, I had one clip of, of him guarding Steph in ISO, and you could tell that he was very aware of where the three-point line was and Steph wanting to stop at that point. Um yeah, I mean, obviously does his research going into the games, has defended a variety of play styles, top tier guys of their styles in isolation, uh, maybe a little bit of work that needs to be done getting through screens. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you're saying, one of the best guard defenders in the league already, which is absolutely ridiculous, despite being a four-year guy. I mean, I don't think anybody could have expected this five, six games into his career. I mean, he was doing a game one. Um, so ridiculous there yeah i'm gonna throw out two names and then circle back because it's not gonna make any sense at first kevin durant and tim duncan what made them such incredible players kobe bryant's another one um they had incredible natural talent incredible instinct and they built upon incredible fundamental foundations right like kevin durant his footwork is incredible he's an he's an incredible naturally gifted athlete and he's added his talent to that, right? So it's like these this three-part combination of of impressiveness. Dave Yon clearly has a natural affinity for defense. Like there, there's some just instinct there. Um, there's talent that he's worked on. And then he's added to that fundamentals. Like you said, he knows where the three-point line is. He knows where a guy's gonna go. He knows, you know, I, I think he I think he mentioned um before the Utah game, he went to Luke Walton and was like, Hey, tell me all you know about. Jordan Clarkson, like, tell me everything you know about him. And he preps. So it's the prep. It's the, it's the instinct and it's the talent. And when you have someone that has all three of those, that's when you come up with these elite level players. And that's what Davion's doing. Fundamentals plus talent plus preparation. Um, that's what's making him so special. You have a lot of naturally talented defenders in the league. You have a lot of good fundamental defenders in the league. You don't have a lot of guys doing those two things plus building on defensive skills. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the best is yet to come for Davion and there are, there are holes in his defensive game, but the holes are small and they can be kind of sanded out. Um, and I, I think eventually we're going to see him as, as probably the best guard defender of the league. And he's going to be an incredibly, incredibly valuable player moving forward. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
I'm with you. And I've been weirdly impressed by his offense. Like it's been shaky, but the versatility of it, you know, it's not, it's not efficient right now. That's something that's going to for sure take time to get to an efficient level. He was stupidly efficient, a big jump between junior and senior year at Baylor. Um, only shooting, you know, 34% from the field and 24% from three right now. But I just think the versatility in the way that he, he's doing it is is interesting to me. Um, a couple of really nice lefty finishes tonight against Dallas. He had that big breakout game against Golden State. He dropped 22 and four in his third NBA game. Like there's an offensive player in, in Davion too that is intriguing to me. I, I don't feel... I was very skeptical of any lineups that don't have Fox or Halliburton going into the year, and I still am. But weirdly, like Davion's offense makes me a little more comfortable with those. There's a lot of growth that still needs to be done, but I've been impressed on that end too, actually. Yeah, my my wife always talks to me about like one of the most attractive things to her and women in general is confidence, and like a, a lot of a lot of people can get away with a lot of things just by being confident. And Davion's just a confident basketball player, like there are no rookie shakes to him. Like he, offensively, I mean, defensively, obviously, but offensively, like even when he's not shooting well, he's taking good shots or, you know what I mean? Like even when he turns the ball over, which is relatively rare for him, he just recovers to the next play. And you rarely see that in a guy that just like, he's going to come in and he's just going to play his game, good, bad, or otherwise um, just going to do his, do his job. And I, I think that's a big part of what we're seeing offensively is like, he's got versatility and the confidence level is just there where he's just going in and, putting up shots and or throwing the ball around, whatever he's doing. Um, and he's doing it relatively well, even though the results aren't quite there. I, I think we're just seeing that confidence level, which confidence often begets success. Totally. And it seems like from all the stories of his ridiculous work ethic to a point where it's, it, I mean, obviously everybody's going to say that about their guy that they, they've taken in the draft, but it, it seems like outlier extent of Davion. And I would guess that a ridiculous amount of work is going to just make you all that more confident when you're trying to execute it out there in live game situations. I think just in closing, um, you know, there's reasons to be skeptical that we kind of have went through here. I would have been happy with three, three, if looking at the schedule going into the year, um, they played tough opponents. Every single one of these has been aside from, New Orleans, I would say, um, I feel pretty confident that they're a playoff team, like pr pretty confident that these guys are going to be playoff teams. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I would have taken three and three. I know you said at the beginning, the Kings have done that before and really underperformed from, from that point, but yeah, just kind of circling back around a little bit bigger picture through these six games, like record wise, this is, this is fine based on the opponents they've played. Yeah, I'm not panicking. I'm worried about some aspects of the team. Um, it's interesting that the three teams they've beaten uh, are a combined six and twelve, and the three teams they've lost to are a combined fourteen and four. So, like, they've beaten the mediocre to bad teams, and they've lost to the elite. Like Utah's five and one, Golden State's five and one, Dallas is four and two. The teams they've beaten are three and three, two and three, and one and six. So they're, I think they're like, you know, Phoenix has not been good this year. Um, Portland has not been good this year. They haven't been terrible, but they've been really kind of peaks and valleys. And Pelicans are ho horrific. Um, so I don't have a problem. I think a couple of the teams that we thought were going to be like, you know, good have not been good thus far. Um, so yeah, I, I'm at the point where 
I wouldn't change my win total. I had them winning between 39 and 41 games at the start of the season. I haven't seen anything to make me go, oh, it's going to be 34. And I haven't seen anything that's going to make me go, it's going to be 44. Um, I, I think they're kind of who I expected them to be, even though the way they've gotten there hasn't necessarily been the path I thought they would follow. So, yeah, I mean, anytime you're three and three after six games, after the 15 years the Kings have had, overall, I've got some minor complaints about the way things are happening, but. Yeah, I'm not panicked about the win-loss record for sure. And and if, if De'Aaron Fox can and will recover, then maybe we're seeing a you know a nine and seven start or something like that, which would just be you know pretty uh, pretty incredible from the Sacramento perspective. Totally. Um, and and we talked about some of the reasons, but I will say like Utah lost, they shot twenty two percent from three. Dallas lost, they shot nineteen percent from three. Like a little bit of those are kind of shots not falling there's other aspects like we like we kind of uh that we dove into at the beginning of the episode but yeah um next game the end of this four game road trip they're in utah on tuesday which is a big game um well i I don't know i'll say a big game but a big challenge is more so what i meant there i think utah beat milwaukee tonight right do i have that my memory correct yeah utah beat milwaukee by 12 so uh um, yeah, Utah is very good in every area. So I um I saw a tweet yesterday or today. I think they're number one. I don't know if it's offensive rating, but basically number one in offense and number one in defense right now. So yeah. bleh, we're not going to win that game unless yeah. something unless Fox if Fox comes out and scores forty four maybe. But yeah. that is oh man. Milwaukee didn't have Middleton or Holiday. Oh, Still, wow. you, not, not taking anything away from Utah. Yeah, no, no. Utah so has played huge. phenomenal. Um, yeah, they started the other Antetokounmpo. Wow. Wow. What an interesting <laughs> decision that is that yeah. I would not make myself. Yeah. Um, but yes, as you said, Utah has been phenomenal. They've always been a great regular season team. Team that moves the ball really well, which will be a good test for Sacramento's pretty subpar defense that we kind of glossed over but has been somewhat as expected um and a really good defense as well that the team probably struggled the most against on offense throughout these games to create decent looks to big rim protectors obviously go bare and then your next guy's white side where if you're able to just kind of sit him in the pain is gonna maybe deter fox a little bit um so yeah, um, you know, we're, we're waiting for a big Fox game. It feels, I don't feel great about saying maybe that'll happen against Utah, but if it does, I mean, it would just feel all that much better, but kind of waiting on that and Halliburton to get back into a rhythm, see if Terrence Davis can figure out a role on this team and and find out how much Barnes and Holmes are, are going to calm down. But three and three is certainly not a bad spot to be at. Um, yeah, you got anything else before I close out here? I was just going to say, Darren Fox' career has averaged 15.5 points per game against Utah. Mm. Gobert destroys him. I shouldn't say destroys him. I think Gobert just chases him out of the paint. Gobert doesn't commit a ton of fouls against Fox. He just uses verticality. And so, yeah, I, I think that's Fox's third worst. You know what's super weird is Fox averages 13.7 points per game against Chicago. Hmm. Like, Chicago? He had, I think last year he had a five minute game. He did. Chicago. That's probably that's probably what affects that. It's probably yeah. something weird like that. Yeah. 
But yeah, I think I think um, Utah's his third worst. He also struggles against Indiana, which makes sense with Turner. And yeah, they're two center protection. Do we have a Do we have a, a closing question? I forget what you called um, it. I feel bad. Yeah, and overtime. I have a overtime. I I put you on the spot. Looked for ones during this, um, and went for a Halloween themed ones. Do you have a? Okay, so we actually asked this in the mailbag, so I'm just gonna kind of steal it from there. Best Halloween movie. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big movie guy. Oh yeah, we're the worst two people for this. We are the worst two people for this. I don't really like movie. I get so bo- like I'm a guy that the movie doesn't capture my attention in like six minutes, and it's not like me being a brat. Like, uh, I just I can't pay attention. I get on my phone. I do other things, and then I lose it. I I lose the plot, and I'm done. Um, I I like Cabin in the Woods. I saw it one time, and I liked it. So like, if it's a horrible movie, I'm sorry. Oh well. Does Zombieland count? I enjoyed Zombieland. Sure, back in the day. because I could use that one too. Yeah. Um, the Blob is classic. Psycho, The Birds. My grandma showed me all those when I was six. Those are all like legit. I was, I'm still a little scared of birds. Like, I don't like birds around me. <laughs> and that's, I fully blame my grandma. Um, mm. And giant red blobs that eat people. I'm also afraid of those. So, um, yeah, we'll go with Zombieland. I'm taking it. I don't know if it's a horror movie, and I don't even know if it's a good movie, but I saw it way back in the day. When did Zombieland come out? Probably like 10 years ago, right? Like that's... It's probably... I'll date tell myself. Right now. I'm not that old, people. People think I'm older than I am. 2009. No, I mean, I, I remember that movie. I'm, I'm, I'm the baby, right? Yeah, so I was... 2009, I was 19 when it came out. I was just out of high school, so... Yeah. Uh, and I enjoyed it, so... You want to know how old I was? You were, hold on, let me think, 12? I was 12. Yeah. Wow, you nailed that. Yeah. Did. Yeah. Yeah, I took it as like horror movies, I guess. And I don't know. I, I probably can't even remember what my favorite horror movie is. I just like listed a couple like Insidious I thought was decent. Um, the Conjuring was a fun it. one. Um, Hush, something I, I saw it. recently, I guess. Yeah. Now I, I'm fine with going with Zombieland. Do you want to share your Halloween costume? I didn't do anything boring. Yeah, but... um, I was Woody. I'm always Woody because kids around the neighborhood like it because they see a six seven Woody walking around and they all love it. Um, there was actually a group of kids. Our we're, we just recently moved and our neighborhood went all out this year, which was a lot of fun. And there was a house that was really like decked out with a ton of scary stuff with like zombie babies and like really scary stuff for little kids. And there were like six kids like six and under like piled on the sidewalk and the parents were like go 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 ahead and other kids want to go and i was like what are you here let's go guys and they all went with me and got their candy which was fun um <laughs> my wife was mike wazowski uh and then my son jack was um optimus prime we bought him a pikachu costume and then five minutes before we left he decided to be optimus prime and then my daughter had a bell costume and then five minutes before we left she wanted to be spider girl so she was spider girl and then the eight-month-old that we have with us, uh, he was a lion. So it's the same lion costume that I went to the Golden One Center opening with with my son Jack when he was a baby, and he was Baby Slamson. We got him a little costume, nice. and that was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, we had a good time. Kids got buckets full of candy. So, yeah, I was Woody. I'm usually almost always Woody because, A, I have the costume, and B, the little kids like it. So there we go. 
Yeah, next year I'll be more exciting. I'll come up with something. You know what I should have done and I probably need to do next year? I need to be a giraffe. Like I'm I'm already the baby of the group. There it's perfect. It's perfect. You know what? Okay. I'm, to make that happen. My sister-in-law told me yesterday that whenever she sees Snoop Dogg, she thinks of me. And I have no idea how to take that. What? What? I don't know. Uh, I What? Is she looking at the right Snoop Dogg? Is there another yeah. Snoop Dogg? Like, it's like whenever I see Snoop Dogg on the TV, I turn to your brother and like, oh, he always reminds me of Tim. And I'm like, I don't know if there's two more what? opposite people in the world what? than me and yeah. Snoop Dogg. You have blue headphones on? Like, no, that's what? <laughs> I mean, we're the same talent rappers, but other than that, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I didn't know how to take I, I it. I can't even think of, yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's the nothing. World. I don't. Oh my God. No, yeah. Know. No, I don't know. Maybe everyone's I, dream is to smoke a blunt with me, just like it is smoke a blunt with Snoop Dogg. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Two legends. I don't know. I can't even think of. Yeah, I'm trying to come up with something. I have no idea. I have no idea. Might just refer to you as yeah, Snoop Dogg now though. Someone said my wow. brother then said Snoop Baby Giraffe or Snoop Giraffe. Yeah, I tried Snoop to think Giraffe. of some play that yeah seemed like yeah. a stretch though. I'm glad you made it for me. There we go. You're welcome. That's what the guests are for. Oh yeah. All right. Well, that's gonna do it this episode of the king's pulse podcast uh definitely everybody obviously check out all the great work going on at the king's herald and take a look at the patreon to support local independent king's coverage if you enjoyed this episode of the king's pulse podcast please subscribe rate and review and you'll hear from us again on wednesday